Please note, Three Old Goalies podcast may not be suitable for goalkeepers under the age of 17. You see, the Three Old Goalies are, well, old and sometimes grumpy and might just be nibbling at the edges of Alzheimer's. So we're not always, how would you say it, filtered. So parents, have earmuffs at the ready because listener discretion is highly advised. Opinions expressed on Three Old Goalies podcasts are ours and ours alone. They're, of course, correct, but there are opinions. Three Old Goalies is a net performance adventure. Like us on Facebook at Net Performance Goalkeeper Education Co. and at Three Old Goalies on Instagram. Three Old Goalies is produced by John Boa Media. For more information, email Bose at johnboamedia.com or you can see him on Instagram at John Boa Media. Music for our shows is provided by Floodgate Operators, a bluegrass band out of Crested Butte, Colorado. For more information, go to www.floodgateoperators.com and be sure to check them out on YouTube. Okay. Legal stuff is out of the way. We've got a really good show for you tonight. Our special guest tonight is Richard Motzkin of U.S. Soccer, MLS, and International Football fame, who will be along a little bit later. But first, let's welcome our panel and the other two old goalies. Let's welcome Greg Deutsch from Cincinnati, Ohio, and John Boa from Vicksburg, Mississippi. Welcome, fellas. How is everyone? Evie, I am very good. I am so pumped up. Uh, I cannot control myself for having Richard Musk on, Richard Muskin, the agent on the show. Uh, I'm serious. It's, it, this, it, he is a smorgasbord of agents uh, as far as the talent. And when we go through this, you guys are going to be stunned on some of the agent or some of the players he's represented. So just sit back and enjoy this. This is going to be unreal. All right, Bowie, you doing all right? You know, EV, most people get older. I get dumber every day I am on this planet. The mask thing is going to push me over the edge because people think it's making them sick. I'll talk about that later in our twirl around the world of global football. Hello, Richard. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Okay, Appreciate well, well, as I said, we have Richard Motzkin tonight with <laughs> us. And, you know, this may be – you better pay attention, folks, because he may leave halfway through this. He may get sick of us. But – uh, we are thrilled to have you. Uh, I've told uh, Greg this many times. Probably the guy who knows more about the in, inner workings of soccer in the United States, with possibly the exception of Hank, uh, but right up there with you. Uh, and uh, we're, we're thrilled to have you on. And without further ado, I will turn it over to Greg and let's get it. Let's get ripping. All right. Well, first, EV, let's let's hit rewind. And let's see if Richard remembers. All right. So back in the late 90s, uh, Richard, Evie and I did a uh, talk radio show uh, in Cincinnati called Soccer Today. It was on AM 1360. And you were so kind to be our guest 20 odd years ago. So I don't know if you remember. I, gonna, I can't believe you've waited 20 plus years <laughs> back. I was that bad, huh? Jeez. <laughs> well, I'll take yes. <laughs> sorry to interrupt you anyway um so for you listeners who don't know he who uh, richard is uh in my opinion and certainly eb and 
and Hank Steinbrecher's opinion, uh, the most famous soccer agent in the United States. Um, right now, he's the executive vice president and managing executive of Global Football Group for the Wasserman Media Group. Um, again, welcome, and I'm, I'm thrilled to have you. And as we go through this, uh, I'm sure you've got some phenomenal stories. So, um, you know, I, I just want to start, you know, we've had former players, we've had coaches, we've had current players. You're our first agent. Um, you're not, you know, the traditional soccer player like everyone knows. Um, and how did you get started doing this? You know, some background for the people, you know, he just didn't hop out and start his own agency. Um, back in um, the early 90s, 90, in 1992 through 1994, he was the first ever general counsel and deputy executive for, US, for the U.S. Soccer Federation. So Richard, explain, you know, how did that happen? Um, you know, who hired you? Um, and, and what was it like going through the interviews? Yeah, well, first off, thank you guys for uh, having me on. And, you know, I feel like I, I can certainly join and say I'm sort of the fourth uh, old guy on the show today. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a long, long, fun and memorable road. And, you know, so thanks for having me on. Thanks for all the kind words. And, uh, you know, to sort of start with my soccer story, um, and we mentioned Hank, and he certainly has a big part of it, but uh, back in the late 80s, early 90s, I didn't grow up with the sport. I grew up like most young American kids and playing baseball, basketball, football. And uh, I wish I had played soccer growing up. Uh, I really I grew up in LA and, uh, I, you know, I, uh, the sport I sort of played when I was younger was little league baseball till 12 and then basketball, but you know, not being quite six feet tall. Uh, I don't think my basketball career was going to take me too far. So, um, but I always hugely passionate about sports. And so one of the things I always tell people in life is I think when you're younger, you have a pretty good sense of what your passion is, but you also maybe, you know, I also tell people be flexible because if somebody had told me when I was a kid, you know, I'd make my avocation in sports, I would have said, yeah, I mean, I loved it. I, I was a kid who read the sports page front to back, you know, when I was a kid every morning, like that's all I wanted to do. The paper came, you know, stats and all that. You know, if they had said soccer, I would have said, you're out of your mind. I mean, nothing about this growing up, nothing. Um, but then, you know, again, you have to be flexible. You take the opportunity as it presents itself. And so I'd gone to college in Berkeley. I'd gone to law school in L.A. I was a young lawyer working at a big firm downtown L.A. in the late 80s. And a gentleman named Alan Rothenberg uh, happened to be a partner at the firm. Uh, and when I got to the firm, I was doing transactional work. But I also made it known when I got there you know, any, any, if we did any sports related work, I was happy to volunteer and help out. So we had one partner at the firm who happened to represent the Dodgers and the U S Olympic committee. And so I got to sort of help and work with him. And then Alan Rothenberg joined and shortly after he joined, he became the president of us soccer. And I got to know Alan and, you know, I started, started doing some work with us soccer. And then in the late, uh, late 91, uh, I remember him coming to my office one day and he said to me, he said, hey, I have a potentially interesting opportunity for you. And of course, you know, late 91, uh, U.S. soccer was very different than it was <laughs> at the World Cup coming. And, you know, so the buzz was starting, but it still wasn't, you know, um, and that was really my first introduction to soccer was, you know, doing some legal work for Alan. 
And he came to me and he said, uh, hey, Rich, you know, I have uh, an interesting opportunity for you. So what's that? He said, how would you like to be the first ever general counsel for U.S. soccer? And I said, wow. I mean, that's, you know, and again, still at this point, I'm in my mid-20s. You know, I'm not, I'm not that old. Uh, yeah, and he said, uh, two things that you should know, though. I said, what's that? He said, first, you're going to have to move to Chicago. And, you know, I'd never been to Chicago in my life. I hadn't traveled much, right? Um, and, uh, you know, again, this is still before a lot of people were traveling all the time and technology existed, right? You know, we're barely into fax machines at that day. And he said, and second, uh, you know, you're going to make, ha- it's a nonprofit, so you're going to make less than half of what you're making. He's like, <laughs> Always bad news that comes with good news, right? That's like a great soccer industry story. <laughs> What's it? Yeah. How yeah. you go backwards? Yeah. Uh, so, so, but I said to myself, listen, you know, uh, this sounds like a, you know, very interesting opportunity, at least, you know, for the next two and a half years with the World Cup coming. So, uh, uh, you know, I wasn't married then, but my, you know, fiance and then wife was finishing law school in LA. And so she ended up coming and joined me after uh, she graduated. But I ended up making the move and basically for the next two and a half years, 24-7, 365, I was fully immersed in the sport. Um, and again, at that time, you know, U.S. soccer's annual budget was probably a few million dollars a year at the most. And, uh, you know, plus we operated in uh, the red. I mean, even, you know, we, we were like a very amateur organization. I mean, now the organization's $100 million a year or whatever it is. Uh, but this was very shoestring, and uh, um, but you know I basically spent uh, you know working with Hank and all the other folks at U.S. Soccer. You know we had the U.S. Soccer team under full time contract training in Mission Viejo, so I was working on with a lot of the player stuff, a lot of the marketing stuff. Literally, I was dealing with everything from you know national and international issues all the way to like grassroots AYSO disputes. And I'll be honest, I mean, a lot of it was just learning on the fly and having some common sense because every day was something new. Every day was something different. It was, you know, it was an incredible professional opportunity. And uh, as you know, and I had the good fortune of working not only with Alan and sort of I would go back and forth and work with the World Cup Organizing Committee in L.A. every few weeks. But then also having Hank in Chicago, who, as we all know, was Reverend Hank and so passionate about the sport. So I went from literally... The first game I ever went to was, uh, you know, a U.S. national team game, you know, right as around the time I was hired. It was actually, there was the U.S. Cup. It was the U.S.-Italy game. We tied in Chicago 1-1, and it was like, you know, a terrific result. I think John Hark scored the goal at Soldier Field. And, you know, sitting next to Hank and traveling with Hank and having his, you know, soaking up his zeal and passion, obviously, sort of gave me a love for the sport and uh, had a lot of... A lot, of, a lot of interesting stories, a lot of fun stories, but, you know, really spent, um, you know, a lot of time uh, meeting everybody in the soccer world, you know, from the FIFA level to the, you know, national team levels, to the marketing levels, all the way down to, you know, state associations and, uh, you know, really had my hands full, but it was a fantastic learning experience for that two and a half years. What was it like uh, getting interviewed by Hank before you sort of knew who he was, as you mentioned, the reverend, uh, was the interview, you know, were you nervous or did you, did Alan say, Hey, you know, the job's yours. Just Hank's got to check a few boxes. What, what was that like? 
Well, I had already done a little bit of legal work, um, you know, sort of as the outside counsel working with Alan, um, you know, so, uh, you know, so I'd already sort of got to know Hank, you know, I, but actually it's funny because I just, you know, these are good questions because I'm thinking about it. The one who probably gave me the hardest time, and I'm sure you know, is Richard Groth. And uh, you guys know Richard and Richard was treasurer at the time. And uh, he's, um, you know, he doesn't fancy fools lately and he's very uh, demanding in certain respects. And so, you know, he was probably the one who interviewed me the hardest, but he was also one that I think I gained his respect over time. Uh, um, but yeah, I mean, sort of, go, you know, so from that, it's funny, because that was a great question. I had not thought of that, but Richard was definitely the one who was the hardest to interview with. So, but I passed his test. Yeah, you passed the test. So, you know, you were there from 1992 to 1994, uh, and then you decide to leave uh, and start your own company called uh, Sportnet. So why did you want to leave? And curiosity is just killing me. Why the name Sportnet? Well, it's a good question. So... You know, I had spent basically a little over two and a half years in Chicago, had a great professional experience, made some great friends. And my wife and I, uh, you know, we were married then at the time. And uh, we were both from L.A. originally, although we met at Berkeley in college. We were both from L.A. and we sort of both wanted to go back to L.A. I certainly could have stayed at U.S. soccer. Um, but over the sort of the time, I got to know some of the players well. And so what had happened was, when uh, when I left, I actually joined. I went. We wanted to get back to LA as one short answer, and there was at the time a big football agent, uh, you know, sports lawyer, sports agent, much like myself. His name was Marvin Demoff, who represented a lot of the American football players at the time, like John Elway and Dan Marino. And I had worked with Marvin one summer um, when I was in law school, and so. Marvin had asked me if I wanted to come and join his American football practice after the World Cup ended, you know, because I had sort of put feelers out and said, you know, I want to go back to L.A. My wife wants to go back to L.A. Uh, and so when I went back, I joined him, but I also joined him on the premise of saying, listen, I want to start my own soccer practice. And he said, sure, you can do that, but there's no professional soccer league here in this country. Yeah, yeah, and you know, yeah, he's like, if you want to do that, you know, that doesn't seem to make a ton of sense. And I said, listen, you know, I got to know a lot of the guys on the 94 World Cup team and my first client and, you know, still my client and close friend to this day, Alexi Lawless, who was the star of the 94 World Cup with their red hair and red goatee and his guitar singing and all that. Um, when the World Cup had ended, you know, he actually had opportunities to play overseas in England, uh, you know, Germany and Italy. And at the time, Serie A and Italy was the mid 90s. That's where everybody played. It was, you know, sort of the Premier League. Sure. Today. That was what Italy was back in the mid 90s. And so I had sort of been giving advice to Alexi and I sort of had this epiphany that said, look, you know, if I'm going to go do my own thing, you know, uh, Alexi, I would love to represent you. And, you know, uh, to his credit, he said, sure, why not? And, you know, Many years down the road, you know, he jokes around and said, I can't believe, you know, we're basically the same age that I let you represent me and you had no idea what you were doing. But, you know, we went through all the trials and tribulations together and grew up together. Um, and uh, but so when I went and I started, uh, you know, the other thing, right, we all talk about having a, a great woman behind any successful man. And my wife was basically because so I, I came back to L.A., but then. 
pretty quickly I said, you know what, I'm just going to do this soccer thing full time. And I represented a number of guys off that 94 team who were playing, were playing in places like Germany or England or Italy or, you know, Spain or Mexico or wherever. And so I pretty quickly sort of ventured off on my own working out of my apartment and, you know, my wife was a full-time lawyer at the time and she was supporting the family. I mean, those first few years I made literally nothing. Right. Uh, you know, and of course you can imagine, uh, my father, uh, at the time who was, you know, saying, wait a second, you're representing athletes in the sport that doesn't exist. You're making no money. And you, and you were at a big law firm and doing really well. And I, you know, basically thought I lost my marbles. I mean, fast forward <laughs> today, he's very proud of me, but, uh, you know, he definitely was giving me um, squirrely eyes back then. So Yeah. I mean, let's expand on that a little bit. I mean, I don't know if people heard that. You were working out of your apartment, not even your own office. Um, what fellas he fails no, to but see. to be clear, I had a I had a uh, I had a one of those fake PO box addresses and I remember to this day. It was twenty one eighteen Wilshire Boulevard, suite three two five, and that suite was a mailbox etc like a little thing like this big that was that was my office <laughs> outside world so. so uh you know fellas like i said he's being very humble he had 13 of the 23 players from the world cup on the united states national team that he represented that's that's a pretty good haul from quote you know just starting out and again as richard alluded to there's no pro league because mls starts in 1996 share a with us how you got him into you know Italy at that time um you know like you said you didn't have any quote-unquote you know contacts and it was it just like hey we got this great American guy who we think you know can get you a lot of publicity well listen I like in any negotiation it's nice when you have options right and so at the time uh you know let, you know Padova which was a team that had just been promoted uh from Syria B and everyone had said they were going to go straight back down. You know, we're interested. Coventry City in England were interested. Bochum in Germany were interested in Alexei. And so there were multiple clubs that were interested that sort of helped create leverage. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the, you know, one of the things that you learn in life and another life lesson I would share is, you know, don't be afraid of ask, don't be afraid to ask questions and don't be, you know, and, and know what you don't know. And so, you know, part of my job is always, right, is preparation and, you know, and, and also just don't, you don't, there's so many times in a negotiation in life where people say, you know what, this is how it's always done. You know, and the easy and the lazy way out is to just accept that. But guess what? If you don't agree with that or you, or, uh, oh my God, I got Hank coming in here. Uh, <laughs> if, you don't, if, you don't, if you don't agree with that, you know, or, you know, you've got the leverage to, you know, try to, uh, you know, offset that, then, you know, make sure, you know, don't just accept status quo, you know, be prepared, you know, educate yourself and also be smart enough to ask questions and get support in a local market if you need it. Um, so going to the Lexi thing, that, that was, one, you know, there's always negotiations you do over time that really, uh, that, you know, you remember. And one of the things I did with Alexi's deal when he first went to Padova was I I said, look, because he had a lot of options and he got a very good initial deal when he went there, but she sort of didn't know what was going to happen. And everybody thought Padova would just get relegated right again. So I put a clause in his contract, which took some fighting, but I said, 
you know, if he's going to go there, I want the option to get out of the contract after year one, you know, and ultimately they gave us that. And if I'm honest, it was more about worrying if they got relegated. What ended up happening was um, Alexi wasn't a starter when he first got there. And Alexi, as most people know, was a central defender. And in their first three games, they lost 6 nothing, 4 nothing, and 5 nothing. We're minus 15 after three games, and Alexi hadn't played a minute. And then Alexi ends up getting into the starting lineup as a result. And then the team goes on a magical run. I mean, one of my favorite moments was being in, uh, in, in Torino when they beat Juventus, which was, the, you know, at the time, Baggio and all these other players. Um, you know, it was an incredible upset. They beat them one nothing. And so, uh, anyways, at the end of the season, they ended up having, uh, they ended up tying with Genoa to be third from the bottom. And so the way it worked in Italy was, you know, they had to have a one game, you know, relegation match. The winner stays up, the loser goes down. Um, and first of all, for Padova to have even made it to that point was unexpected. But then they played the game at a neutral site, site in Florence, Fiorentina Stadium. And I remember being at this match. And, you know, it was a very, uh, as you can imagine, it was a high intense uh, match with tons of people in the stands, sold out crowd. And it went into extra time and then it went into PKs. And it went about eight rounds in PKs and part of a one to stay up. And the fans and the, you know, the players are going crazy on the field. They're basically stripping down to their skivvies and like everyone's going crazy. It's a big party, right? So, um, so basically the Lexi leaves right after the game to fly back to the States because the U S national team is playing Nigeria the next day in a U.S. cup game. And I stay because I had told the club if Alexi, you know, if they ended up winning, you know, we were going to opt out of the contract. Um, because at this point, Alexi had had a very good season and there were clubs not only in Italy, but in other places who were very interested in him. And so I end up staying and the next day I end up, you know, I'll shorten the story, but I end up meeting with uh, the club officials and I walk into a room and there must have been 20 of them in there. And, you know, I have to admit, I feared a little for my life because they weren't going to let me leave unless we had a deal done. Um, but it was... Um, was an interesting story in that meeting as well but we ended up getting a deal done but you know and alexi obviously benefited greatly by having that clause put in his contract yeah what a great story but before we go on you know and we're going to fast forward you know uh because you know that was back you know back in 1996 and you you're going to sell your company in 2006 but let's introduce hank steinbrecher who's our guest caller in hey hank hello greg how are you doing evie Richard, how, are you, how are you, buddy? I'm great. It's great to hear you. It was great to see you uh, in Ruthann a week or so ago. Well, let me let me first say thank you for coming on that call. You'll get a letter from me in reference to that. But I wanted to call in. I know you're going to do the podcast. And I wanted to call in just really to sing your praises and uh, to tell people, you know, we were, we were there in the really early days. And uh, there wasn't much happening when you came on board. Uh, I found you to be singularly one of the most honest people in the game. And it's somebody that I had uh, incredible trust. Uh, I can remember having negotiate uh, Bruce Arena's contract with you. And uh, I felt that I had given him 
probably as much as we could afford to give them. You, of course, are pushing for more. <laughs> and after, there, there are always various parties interceding. Uh, and uh, we came to an agreement. And uh, I was heavily criticized uh, by my side of the table for giving him too much. But I thought it was fair and just. Uh, then Bruce signs another contract with U.S. Soccer for a hell of a lot more money than what I signed him for. <laughs> Good job, Richard. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciated both those contracts, as did Bruce. But I, I think Bruce made everybody look pretty good, especially in 2002. So. Well, the, the other thing, Richard, I get calls an awful lot on, you know, here's a young player. They really need an agent. Uh, who do I send them to? And there's only one name I use, and that's your name. And it's because you have the trust of so many people within the game. And you know in your business, uh, that's rarity. I, I appreciate that. And, you know, as I sat on the call, and it was really an epiphany for me as I was listening to everybody sing your praises justifiably, um, and I never had really thought about it until I was sort of sitting last week uh, when you got uh, justifiably honored by uh, your old school with the scholarships and, uh, you know, and it was so wonderful listening to everybody's speeches. But it really did make me realize that I got my love of soccer. Spending that two and a half years going to games at every level across the country and hearing Reverend Hank speak and all the stories that you shared with everybody. Um, not only sort of gave me my love of the sport, but my understanding of the sport. Um, Cause I mentioned earlier, oh, I didn't grow up with soccer. And if, if somebody had told me prior to working at us soccer, that I'd make a living in soccer, I would have said you're out of your mind. But um, I obviously, uh, you know, a lot of us, you know, have fortune along the way. It's also because we're surrounded by great people. And so, you know, Hank was, you know, you know how I feel about you, but, you know, the impact you had not only on me, but on the sport in this country uh, is amazing. Well, also, Richard, I, I, I love, I, I also love your family. You've done an outstanding job there. You, you married up. As did you, Hank, as did you. <laughs> Unfortunately, my daughter got me on this Zoom call, as I said earlier. I didn't, technology is not my strong suit, so. Well, and uh, one other thing that I'd like to say is when, when we first met, you, you were not an agent. You are a general counsel. So you handled every legal issue that went before the Federation. And that was a lot of issues running up to the World Cup. Yes, it was. Wow, yeah, it was. But I think it's actually, listen, I think one of the things I always tell people in a negotiation is you need to understand what the other side needs out of it. And having worked on executive management side in that capacity has been invaluable to me in sort of what I do and how I approach negotiations, how I counsel my clients, how I work with the other side to really try to find win-win situations. Because ultimately, uh, and Hank actually exemplifies this better than anybody, you know, life and business is about relationships. And so when you treat relationships well, everybody benefits. Richard, how many are in your stable now? <laughs> well, the good news is, the good news is I sort of manage agents now, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like all, all you guys now. I got my <laughs> beard and so. So far ahead of now, Hank. 
but we got we got hundreds of players managed by dozens and dozens of agents. And you know, for me, I'm I'm more managing the agents. I'm not going out and signing the players as yeah, much. I, 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 I hear you, pal. I hear you, pal. But the buck yeah. in soccer stops with you. <laughs> well, I appreciate I appreciate all the words, Hank. You know that. Well, listen, I'm gonna send you back to Greg. Love you, big guy. Love your family. You too. You've you done too. great and you make me proud all the time. I really appreciate that. And love to everybody on your side, too. Take care, pal. Thanks. You, too. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, a little surprise for you, Richard. That was, that, that was great. That was great. And, again, I can't emphasize enough what soccer is today versus what Hank and I were dealing with you know, almost 30 years ago is night and day which is a great thing, right? I mean, the evolution of the sport domestically and internationally has been tremendous, um, you know, and, you know, much more professionalized. But now we were dealing with things like when our national teams would go on trips, you know, guys, you can't give your jersey away. We don't have another set of uniforms. And if somebody changed jerseys at a game, it became you know, a big issue. If we didn't know if we would play the next game because we might not have a complete set of jerseys. Yeah, right. Those are unfortunately, not issues we worry about anymore, but of course. Wrong way. All right. So we, we you you have your Sportsnet group for about 10 years. 2006, you decide to sell uh, real it. quickly, Greg. You asked me how I came up with the name Sportsnet. So I want That's to get right. that answer right. too, because when I decided to go out on my own and start my own business, um, which again, you know, I wouldn't have done if you know my wife didn't support it and uh you know, in a lot of ways, I say I thank Alexi for being my client because the five, six, seven years were tough and, and there was no money involved in the sport. But honestly, Alexi's passion for soccer and Alexi's desire to be a pioneer and make a difference and grow the game resonated with me so strongly because there was a lot of times from at the mid-90s to the early 2000s where not only was there no money in the sport and MLS was on the brink of whether or not it would even succeed. You know, I had a lot of other opportunities in other sports. Um, and quite frankly, for a lot more money and like a lot more stability. Uh, and, you know, Alexi, Alexi, you know, had been in Italy and he left Italy at a time when he was, you know, the number one sort of icon in soccer. And he's, and he had opportunities all over the world. And said, "Look, if my I want my legacy to be about growing the sport in America, I can't do that unless I come back and help this league, which was an incredibly selfless move, and quite frankly, one that not many people would make. Um, and so, you know, his passion certainly helped keep me motivated to keep doing what I was doing. But when I started my company, my twin sister um, is a graphic designer, so I said to my twin sister Lisa, I said." I want to start my own company. You know, can you come up with a name and a logo, you know, for my company? And again, this was real early days of computers and all that. And, you know, my only regret was she came up with the name Sportsnet and came up with a logo. My only regret is that I didn't trademark Sportsnet everywhere. Because then shortly thereafter, it became like Fox Sportsnet and all these other Sportsnets. But, you know, again, I didn't have any money to trademark anything or patent anything, but my twin sister came up with it and all that. So yeah, I had that for about uh, 10 years or so, my own company. 
What a great story there. What a great story. Wow. All right. So in 2006, what changes, what makes you want to sell your company? And, and why did you choose Wasserman uh, at, at that particular time? Because I'm sure you're being approached by other companies now that, you know, um, you know, you're 10 years into the business. So uh, 2001, I end up partnering with a gentleman named Dan Siegel, who's also a lawyer by training, who uh, was representing some guys on the East Coast at the time. And, you know, he had guys like Benny Olson, Eddie Pope. And so we had met once or twice. And in 2001, early 2002, we decided to join forces and sort of, you know, at the time I was full-time agent. He was sort of half legal practice, half you know, being an agent. And we joined together and we started growing the business. Um, and we started, it was, yeah, it was around mid-2000s, we started being approached by different companies. And at the time, Wasserman was a brand new company. And uh, one of the gentlemen who joined right before us was a guy named Arn Tellum. Arn Tellum was a big basketball and baseball agent at the time. Uh, and we had... I had known Arn for years from LA sort of sports scene. And as it turns out, Arn had gone to the same college, uh, Haverford as Dan. And so they had had a connection as well. So we sort of both knew Arn and Arn had given us a hint that he was going to be doing something. And when he made his move, he would want us to join him. And so at the time in 2006, he joined them in February in his basketball and baseball group. And then Dan and I joined in June of 2006, before the World Cup. And you mentioned earlier, in 2006 is when we represented 13 of the 23 players, which would be awfully hard to replicate ever again with, obviously, the growth of the game and the increased competition. Um, but we joined at the time, and our little group was like about employees 20 to 24 or so for Wasserman, and that was June of 2006. And... I mean, it's crazy to me that it's 14 plus years later, but now, you know, we're a company that probably has somewhere around 900 employees, eight, 900 employees worldwide. And for the global football, as we call it in Europe or soccer group, which I help co-manage with a colleague in the UK, um, we probably have, you know, 400 or so footballers uh, with probably, you know, 60 agents or so worldwide, you know, and where we have big offices in the U.S., England, Holland, uh, Spain, and, you know, late, love, late, we've got a number of top young Americans in Germany as well. Yeah, well, and let me, let me, fellas, let me go into some of this detail about what Richard's talking about. Um, first, um, as Richard alluded, the Washington Media Group represents, uh, th this past year, they've represented all the first round draft picks in all six North American league drafts. That's amazing to me. Uh, unreal. Um, they um, acquired um, SFX Europe. Uh, JB, you're going to love this little stat here who represented uh, Michael Owens and your boy, Stevie Gerrard. They also, as uh, Richard just alluded to, they acquired top value, which was, the uh, number one um, football agency in Spain. Um, in 2013, Sports Illustrated um, ranked Richard um, 
in the top 25 of the most powerful people in the U.S. for U.S. soccer, which is pretty amazing because back then, uh, him and his group were more powerful than David Beckham, uh, Chuck Blazer, Bruce Arena, Mia Hamm. So they have more talent than any other agency in the world. They represent players in the EPL, La Liga, Serie A, League One, Bundesliga, MLS, NWSL, uh, and Liga Max. Um, if you guys want to be just blown away, as I mentioned, EV, at the start of this about the smorgasbord of players, and, and I sure hope Richard's going to go into some great stories here. Um, Landon Donovan, Jeremy Jones, Tim Howard, uh, Josie Altator, Eric Linalda, uh, if you can believe what I'm going to say next, Freddie Adu, uh, Alex Morgan, Mallory Pugh. Um, those are just sort of some of them. Uh, the recent new ones, and JB, again, you're going to be blown away. Uh, you ever heard of uh, Claudio Reno's uh, little son, Gio? He represents him, who's the youngest player to be in the FIFA 21 game that all these kids play. Uh, Andrew Farrell with New England Revolution. Uh, he just got Eric, quote, Cuba Torres from Tijuana to come over to Atlanta United. Uh, Wolfsburg, as JB, you talk about the German League a lot on the show. Uh, he, he got uh, Brian Kang, Kayo, who just signed, uh, Wes McKinney, Zach Stevens, Josh Sargent, um, just an incredible stable uh, of, of players. Um, so first, congratulations on all that. And I just want to wow. know, you know, funny as it sounds, the, the lifestyle of the agent, you know, of you, you know, is it quote unquote, you know, the Jerry Maguire, show me the money, you know, that type of things we saw in the movie back in 1996. Um, or is it really just a lot of babysitting, you know, that, you know, obviously you're not doing, but some of these agents are doing because of the attention that these kids or players, you know, require now because of all the endorsement deals and social media platforms that they're on now. So a lot of questions to answer. Lot, uh, yeah. But take it. No, a lot of questions. First, you know, thanks for all the comments and accolades, but certainly, you know, uh, it's, you know, it's because I got a great group of people that work with me and it's, you know, I've got a tremendous, you know, behind any stable of great athletes, you're going to have a stable of great agents, support people. We've got athlete marketing people. We've got social media, digital people, PR folks. And, you know, we, and we say that, you know, we have a hashtag of Team Wasp because everyone's sort of part of the Team Wasp family for Wasserman. And it's true because, you know, I feel, you know, I, you know, I sort of approach it much more from a sort of parent perspective as you get older, especially as I get older and these players get younger. You know, you want to make sure that ultimately our job is to look out for the best interests of the player. And, you know, the part of the, you know, and what's might be a best interest for somebody when they're 17, it might be different when they're 30, but ultimately it's about being open and transparent and communicating. Um, and it's also, you know, at a younger age in particular, you know, talking about things like development and looking at, you know, having sort of a long-term horizon. I mean, one of the things I'm sort of most proud of is, you know, this is an age, this is a business that's not an easy business. You know, there's people trying to sort of steal your clients all the time. There's a lot of uh, transitory stuff that happens. But, you know, for the vast majority of my clients, um, you, know, you know, the clients that I have now, they've been with me not for, you know, years, but in many cases, decades. And, you know, in many cases, is they're not only 
you know, their agent, their friend, their lawyer, you know, I still, I still do the deals for a lot of the folks who are, whether they're coaches or broadcasters or team or league execs, because you built that trust and loyalty over a long period of time. Um, but you also learn from a lot of these too, right? I mean, you learn, look at one of the things that I've learned quite frankly, over the years is, you know, especially for the young kids, uh, you know, the accolades and the rewards should come from performance and it shouldn't come, you know, as a result of, you know, what people might, you know, what, you know, you don't want to push too much too soon, I guess is really a better way of putting it because I, you've seen a lot of young players who get a lot, you know, a lot, a lot of marketing and a lot of attention off the field um, as a result of expectation or as a result of, uh, you know, um, you know, perception and all that. And I think that, you know, I always sort of caution and want that stuff to slow down. And it's something that you learn over time because, you know, I'd rather somebody's getting all the big deals because they've just scored a game winning goal in a world cup final, or they've just helped their team, you know, they just won the league scoring title or they've, you know, done stuff on the field that merits the rewards and attention off the field. So, um, you know, and look, it's, it's, uh, it's been an evolution, right? I mean, at back in the day, you know, in addition to me not having as much competition, there's more competition now, right? And that's okay. I don't mind it. People, you know, I'm very confident in how we represent our players and sort of the level of professionalism and, uh, you know, uh, what we can provide our clients is different than others. But, uh, um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, it's the players that are getting signed are also younger and younger. And, you know, I think, again, one of the things becoming, I have three teenagers um, who are getting, you know, and I think that as a parent, you also have a perspective of saying, guys, you know, this kid's 14 or 15 years old, you know, slow down a little bit now, you know, maybe say, you know, and I think that honestly, that helped me, right? Once I became a parent and realized like, you know what? Mm-hmm. you know you know you see a lot of situations where you know maybe it's the parent pushing too much um or you know the kid doesn't ha- you know look at it, it takes a lot of maturity that's another thing i keep going back to you know everybody thinks you know that you know their kid is going to be the next messi or the next ronaldo or whatever and i think that you know the step from amateur soccer to professional soccer is a massive one and then if you're also asking a kid to do it not in their hometown, whether they're leaving a place in the States and going to another place or going overseas and then hypothetically going to a country where they don't even speak the language, you really need to make sure that the maturity level, you know, socially, emotionally, intellectually is really, really at a high level because it's hard. Listen, one of um, the clients that I, you know, uh, who's, you know, more like a son of me is Landon Donovan. Um, and I lived the ups and downs of what it was like for sending somebody at a young age to Germany um, who, you know, wasn't, wasn't ready to do that on their own. And that's no fault. And listen, there were obviously positive and negatives. Being at Bayer Leverkusen at a time when they were a Champions League club and training with incredible players like Bollock and uh, Emerson and Zay Roberto and all that, absolutely make Landon a lot better player, but he was also miserable. And, you know, that's also another thing. Like at the end of the day, 
kids need to be in an environment where they're going to be happy to succeed. Yep. Everyone's path is different. Everyone's story is different. So you, you know, you can provide, you can pro- provide opportunities, but ultimately you need to support people in what their chosen path is. Yeah. It's funny, you know, this is a great segue and I'll get back to Freddie Adu because I'd love to hear, you know, I'm sure we all would love to hear, you know, that story, the ups and downs, but you know, you, you mentioned, you know, some of the young kids, you mentioned um, your children being teenagers and you've got three young players stable. Uh, Number one, um, Tony Leon, captain of the men's U17 team. He was the first Academy homegrown player to sign with the LAFC. Uh, Chris Richards, you mentioned, Landed going to pretty Chris Richards and, you know, playing for Bayern Munich too, made his uh, first uh, appearance with their, um, you know, Bayern Munich, the, the, uh, in the, the Bundesliga. And, and then, you know, what, no, I don't even think people know what I'm about to say here. Uh, her background, Ashley Sanchez, uh, mm-hmm. former USA, UCLA star, uh, plays for Washington Spirit. She was, fellas, wait till you hear this. She became the first player in U.S. history to play in multiple world cups in the same year. All right. So in, in 2016, she played in the U 17 and the U 20 world cup. So, you know, you talk about maturity and things like that. And obviously you've got to make your, or your, you know, your team wants to got to make decisions. Can these kids handle it? You know, and you got to figure out what the parent situation is and things like that. So go into a little bit more detail Mm -hmm. on how hard that is. No, I'll give you a good story on that one. So, uh, another client, you talk about the women's side, and we should. The women have been incredible role models. They've done a tremendous job raising the, you know, uh, you know, raising the bar for, you know, not just women's soccer, but for soccer in the country. And they're winners. They're great role models. And, you know, they've been really a shining light for U.S. soccer. And, you know, one of my clients is Mallory Pugh, who was the youngest player on the uh 2016 world uh, Olympic team in Brazil and she scored a goal in the Olympics. And at the time, uh, through a mutual contact, I, I knew Mallory and her family. Um, and she was, you know, she was getting a lot of attention and a lot of people are saying, Oh, you know, and I, she was uh, 17 years old, I think at the time. And everyone's saying, you know, she should go pro. And, you know, here she is a high school kid playing in the Olympics, which was incredible, you know, committed to UCLA um, and there was a lot of talk about her going pro. And I remember having a conversation, you know, with her and her family. And I said, listen, you know, it doesn't matter what everybody else thinks you should do. You know, I had a one-on-one talk with her. I said, it is your life. You need to do what you want to do and whatever, you know, whatever you want to do, you know, the people who love you and care about you are going to support you. Right. But you need to like, you know, there's a lot of noise and a lot of things coming at you all at once because the Olympics but you need to, you know, think about what it is that you want to do. And so, you know, in that off season, you know, and then she said, you know, I want to go to UCLA. I want to be a college kid. Great. That's what you should do. So, uh, you know, sort of fast forward. And then there was sort of one cycle where she could have turned pro and then another cycle. And again, you know, she was only a junior in college. And then after her senior year, there was a lot of attention. Should she go pro again? And, you know, she wanted to go to college. So, and she happened to go to UCLA, which is near our office in Westwood. Um, and, you know, we'd stay in contact and, you know, and sort of check in. And then literally one day she walked in and, uh, you know, early, uh, I guess it was the build up to 2019, uh, maybe 2018. And she walked in one day and she said, and, you know, she called and she said, can I stop by your office? I want to chat with you. So sure. She came by and she said, 
I want to go pro. And I said, you know, okay, this is, you know, why do you want to go pro? And she said, you know, I just, I feel like I can develop better as a player. I feel like it'll give me a better chance to make a world cup team. And, you know, I just, that's my priority. I want to you know try to be the best player in the world. And I think it's time. And, but it was a good example of, again, you know, sort of her coming to that decision and sort of working through a process. Um, and I do think that when you sort of are able to talk to the kids one-on-one without their parents around, without the coaches around, I have a lot of faith in them figuring out what it is you, they want to do. And honestly, in any of those situations with the young players, I challenge them really hard because, you know, you know, you'll talk to them and say, okay, well, what do you want to do? Oh, I want to go play at Dortmund or Bayern Munich, you know, well, have you ever been to Germany? No, you speak German. No, you know, (laughs) going through these questions, like it's hard, it's hard, it's different. And so, you know, you need to think about these things. And so, you know, I'll spend time more, quite frankly, now as I'm older, really challenging young kids and their parents about, you know, their beliefs about what should happen. Because a lot of it is quite frankly, you know, they quote, see other people doing stuff. And so they feel like they're already behind. And guess what? Everyone develops at a different, different way, different ages. And, and again, if you don't have, you know, really a strong foundation in the maturity level at every level, then it's going to be really hard to succeed because there are going to be ups and downs for everybody. Which is a great segue right into Freddie Adu. You talk about ups and downs. Mm-hmm. Maybe talk a little bit about the highs and lows. And, and let's remember, again, this he was 14 years old when, you know, he started playing pro. Yeah, no, Freddie was a great, interesting story. And certainly, again, it's sort of a seminal client for me. And I'd got to know Freddie and his family a couple of years before he turned pro. Um, and look, he got extraordinary amount of tension sort of early on. And as you know, he was the youngest kid. He was 13 years old on the U17 team that went to Finland. And I remember, um, you know, at the time we were being approached by clubs all over the world. And again, he was only 13 years old. So there, of course, were questions about, you know, could he actually play professional soccer in another league at what age and all this other stuff. Obviously there are rules and regulations that change all the time. And, uh, I was in Finland and uh, they were the, the very first game of that U-17 World Cup. Um, I'm trying to remember the country we beat. We beat them 6-1 and Freddie scored a hat trick. Um, and during the game, I'm sitting next to Ivan Gazidis, who at the time, you know, he's now uh, with AC Milan. At the time, he was, uh, you know, the deputy commissioner of MLS and the MLS really wanted to sign him. And, you know, it was one of those sort of funny scenes where you're sitting together and, of course, you know, every goal you're five-fiving because the U.S. is doing well and they're winning, but he's looking at me and saying, Jesus, every goal is costing me more money now because, you know, there was the likes of clubs, all, all the top clubs in the world were interested in signing him. You know, the question would be how could they do that and when could he play because the only country he could play right away would have been the U.S. because of his age. Um, but when we signed the deal with MLS, you know, it was, you know, it was a groundbreaking deal too because he was, you know, the highest paid kid in the league. He's a highest paid player in the league. And so, you know, it was a lot of pressure on him. Um, and again, there were ups and downs. And then, you know, I took him to Benfica after the 2007, 2000, 2007, I lose track. It was 2000, 2007 or 2000, 2005, I think actually. 2005 U20 World Cup, it was in Canada, which everyone was in Canada. We took him to Benfica. He got sold for $2 million to Benfica. 
I took him to Benfica. And at this point, he's 18. Um, I think it was 2007. So I, I took him. It was right when he turned 18. It was sort of the first ability time he could go. Yeah, it was 2018. And, uh, and you know, he gets there. And he got there with a class. You know, his class included guys like Angel de Maria and uh, and David Luiz. I mean, I mean, you know, Benfica's talented group. And again, you know, he had one of the best contracts at the club because he was already making a lot of money here and he went there and he got a very good contract. And in his first year at Benfica, if you actually go back and look, he actually played in Champions League games. He played in uh, some matches for the uh, first team, scored about five goals, five, six goals in all competitions. He actually had a pretty good year, Uh, but he was also getting blown up by every agent in Europe. And, you know, at that point, you know, one day he called me up and he said, you know, this is a very hard call for me to make, but, you know, uh, you know, you've been with me, you've done an incredible job with me from the beginning, but I feel like I want to try something else. So, you know, what ended up happening for him, um, you know, over the next two, three years, he ended up literally playing for six clubs and the agents that he signed with (laughs) were exactly the wrong kinds of agents because quite frankly, the only reason they were moving him was because they weren't going to make money on the Benfica deal. It was already interesting. So they kept moving him. So they made money and every move was a bad move for him sporting wise and financially. He literally moved five times in three years and every single move was bad for him financially and sporting. And it was terrible. He should have stayed up in regardless of whether or not he stopped working with me, leaving really, you know, he, you know, he, 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 and that, that's, that was, uh, that was unfortunate. And look, I think um, as with everything, you know, there are lessons, um, but I think that uh, Freddie was really important for MLS though. He put up, he helped really give MLS a lot of, um, a lot of credibility at a time when the league was really, you know, teetering a bit. Um, and, uh, you know, he still has some pretty amazing on-field accomplishments that he never gets credit for. You know, I mean, I think he's the only U.S. player who's got hat tricks at the U-17 and U-20 level. And, you know, he won a he in D.C. United. The other thing, again, going back to Benfica, his first year as a 14-year-old, he played every single game and he scored about five goals for D.C. United and they won the MLS Cup. I mean, if you look at if you look at a rookie at any age and his stats, and he did it as a fourteen year old, like that was a really good first year that he had. But again, you know, I think he got caught up in the hype of you know thinking he should be playing at the best club in the world, and you know, he, he learned. But um, you know, it's certainly a part of the story, and it's certainly part of the you know, and Freddie deserves credit for part of the growth of the in the interest uh, of soccer in this country. You know. Did he become Ronaldo or Messi? No, but, you know, he did have some on-field accomplishments and he gave the sport, um, you know, more attention when it really needed it. Yeah, well said. And and thank you for going into such detail uh, about him um, and his journey. Um, Any memories that you want to share with us um, that you could get into on signing some of the players, maybe some of the mind, I don't want to say mind games, but just, you know, like you said, is it's a rough world out there, a doggy dog with the agencies that are competing against you. And, and maybe, you know, maybe how you one up maybe another agency to sign one of your players. You know, I mean, again, this is something that, you know, it's, it, it evolves over time, right? <laughs> when you're younger, 
you know, you feel like you want to sign every top player and you feel like, oh, you know, I, I need to do that, you know. And then, of course, as you get older, you know, uh, and you get a little bit more established, um, you, it's easy, you know, you, I am comfortable, you know, and I'm not saying this in an arrogant or egotistical way, but any player that I sign, I will make more of a material difference in their lives than they will in mine. Whether I sign another player or not, it's not going to change my life. But I fundamentally believe that, you know, we, me, my team, Wasserman, we will provide a level of representation at, at, at every level, which is predicated on caring about the best interests of the player that I, you know, don't believe anybody else can provide or, you know, won't provide. And look, I'm competitive, right? You can't do what I do if I'm not competitive. I want to sign the best, but I also believe that anyone who signs with us is going to get added value just by being associated with us because we have a strong belief that, you know, we want, um, you know, that we are operating at a higher level and that we're, you know, and that there's going to be benefits both ways. And so, um, but I, you know, somebody once said to me and I, and I, and I actually believe this, that, you know, players and agents tend to find each other and the right ones in the right way. And like, and so there are players out there who, um, you know, over time I've had the opportunity to represent that I have no interest in representing and I wouldn't represent because, you know, fundamentally, I don't think that their characteristics and their values probably align with mine. And on the flip side, there's probably people out there who's like, you know, they don't like me, they don't want me to, that's fine. And so, you know, I think, you know, you're, you're never going to win them all. And I think part of the one thing that I think in life, and as you get older, you try to enjoy it more, you know, you tend to focus on the things that you, you know, unfortunately that, you know, the losses you have per se, or the things you don't get that you want, as opposed to really celebrating, you know, all the successes that you have and your clients have. And so again, as you get older, you try to sort of focus a bit more on that. Um, and so, uh, you know, and look, the other goal, as I said earlier, is, you know, for us, we're trying to build long-term, long-lasting relationships. And so, you know, uh, as I now, you know, We'll go out with clients who, uh, you know, uh, you know, I've, I've been with clients who, you know, I've seen, you know, they've been married, they have their kids and, you know, we've all grown up together and we're, you know, having a nice dinner and drinking wine together. You know, those are the things that, you know, I look back upon and I sort of say, you know, this has been really a great ride and that makes it really enjoyable. Yeah. One, one thing I want to, you know, ask before I, you know, ask Evie and, and uh, John, if they want to ask some questions. Um, the endorsement deals outside the Nike and, you know, Adidas, how hard originally was that to get someone, you know, from Pepsi or Coke or, uh, you know, Budweiser, whoever to invest with you and the belief that your client could, you know, increase sales? No, it's a great question. And listen, there's a couple of things that I look at. So one is, as a starting point, I have a strong predisposition to work with those companies who are supporting soccer in this country, right? So whether it's, you know, U.S. soccer sponsors or marketing partners or MLS or NWSL, you know, for me, I actually would take, quote unquote, a little less because uh, for our clients, because I, those people are making a, you know, a uh, huge commitment to help grow and build the sport in this country. And I think that's all part of what we need to do, right? Now, listen, periodically, 
someone will come along and say, we'll give your client a ton of money in ambush marketing and, and provide you with an opportunity that again, listen, at the end of the day, you know, if you can get uh, an opportunity for a client that involves a lot of money and a lot of exposure, and there's no, you know, close opportunity with, you know, a competitor, you're going to do that. Um, but again, that goes to sort of something I said earlier about the relationships. I mean, I've done this a long time. I've worked with a lot of these companies. You know, we had a streak for 10, 12 years where the cover athlete for the FIFA game on EA was one of our clients, right? And partly it's because we had great clients, but partly it's because we have a great relationship with a company like EA. And so, you know, you just saw, and you mentioned it earlier, right? We just recently did deals with Gio Reyna and Mal Pugh, right? But, you know, there are certain companies that when you have a good working relationship, you know, outside of the endemic ones like the Nikes and Adidas's, um, but there are other ones that have been involved in the sport or who are coming into the sport. And it is an area that we're going to focus on. And again, it, you know, I think it's, you want the interest to come because your clients are performing on the field. Um, but, you know, uh, it's, it's nice to see more, you know, again, as part of the growth of the sport, there is more uh, money being put behind marketing endeavors. And, um, and again, you know, I'd like, you know, one of the best aspects of 2019 was the, you know, the Women's World Cup. We represented the majority of the players in the Women's World Cup team. Um, and, you know, a lot of them got a, a tremendous amount of marketing opportunities. Uh, and, um, you know, and it's great to see. It really is. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, they're great role models, they're winners. And, you know, for brands, with them is smart. Yep, yep, yep. All right, JB and EV, you know, if you have any questions, and I, I think you guys do, I know EV does, uh, I'm going to turn it back over to you guys. Okay, well, uh, not many questions. This has been fascinating to, to listen to, and, and, and uh, um, we're sort of heading into uh, the soccer in the U.S. Uh, business phase of our next two or three podcasts, but uh, um, I... I I think this gave our listeners an opportunity to, you know, see this maybe a little intro into what goes on off the field. That's just as important, particularly for the players, particularly for the individuals who are applying, applying their trades to make a living uh, as, uh, as you know, most of the time we talk about what's going on in the field and this has been, this has been great. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't really have any questions. I've just been enjoying the enjoying it. I I was not aware that, uh, and I'm sure John will <laughs> jump in on this, but I was not aware that that um, you know you guys had Stevie Gerard and those guys, and and uh, that's just you know to me that's 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 really yeah. the coolest thing group, ever. Yeah, yeah. Listen, our European group is tremendous. They're the best. Uh, you know, in a number of countries, including England, I think we have somewhere in the neighborhood of 60 EPL players. But, you know, if you're talking about Liverpool, we also have Jordan Henderson, the captain there. We got Virgil van Dijk. We've got, you know, multiple players there. Although I think Greg was had a rolling rock there. So I think I want one of those. <laughs> there with you. No, well, you know, on a serious note, see, we, we know your contact. So maybe you can contact rolling rock. I know it's true. It's a fair so, point. So I know. If I was better at what I did, I should, I should, I should have a whole case right there. You know, I think too, uh, Richard, you touched on something that's real close to uh, EV, and and I know Greg, in my heart, 
as you know, this, this mentality in this country, we were just talking about it before you joined, you know, it's a pretty high level youth soccer, especially for women in North Carolina, right? Cause Anson's there and, mm-hmm. you know, but all these kids, these girls think they're going to go play for Anson. And it's just, and you, you touched upon it when you said, you know, a kid goes to Germany or they assume that if they go to Liverpool because they speak English, they're going to understand it. I've been to Liverpool a hundred times and I can't, and I don't speak Scouse. So yeah. I guess our point is, you know, we have this, this view and expectation, I think somewhat jaded, if you will, or, or, or because you know, we look, we see, we see Jordan Henderson on the field. We forget he quit going to school at 14. Yeah, but, you know, just segue to something else I just thought of about Liverpool and going to sort of to the role of an agent. You know, everyone talks about, oh, the good times and the players who are doing so well, right? You know, and again, I think as a human being and as a person, what's important is that, you know, your clients and their families know that you're going to be there not just for the good times, but for the bad times. And, you know, uh, one of, you know, in addition, one of the players that I sent to Liverpool um, in... You know, I, I, I lose track of times. We're getting older. But, you know, a number of years ago was Mark Pelosi, who was the captain of the U-17 team. Mm-hmm. And Mark was a really talented player who, you know, many clubs wanted him after the U-17 World Cup, which I believe was in Mexico at the time. Uh, he went to Liverpool and was literally on the exact same path as Raheem Sterling. They were the two best young players in the system. And, you know, been there a couple of years, midfielder, obviously part of the U.S. Uh, national team setup. And he and Raheem Sterling got added to the Europa League roster at the exact same time. And a month later, in a, you know, in one of these uh, reserve games, he had his uh, leg shattered by a horrible tackle, which was caught on film. It was really nasty um, and, uh, you know, uh, completely grossly negligent tackle that was way outside the minds of accept- acceptable behavior. A guy had lost the ball. He was upset he lost the ball and, you know, absolutely blindsided him and effectively ruined his career. I mean, he tried to sort of make it back. He went to San Jose for a little bit, um, but he had five years of sheer hell between surgeries and trying to come back. And then you know, ultimately, uh, you know, having to file a lawsuit, you know, and, and literally he was on the same path as Raheem Sterling, same exact path. They were being, you know, graduated up at the same time. He started, he just started training with the first team as well. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you know, it was a very difficult and emotional period um, that, you know, quite frankly, could have, you know, cost him, you know, an incredible career and tens and tens of millions of dollars. Um and so, you know, uh, again, as a parent and as somebody who cares about people, there is an incredible amount of time that was spent, you know, whether it was helping him with physicians or lawyers and, you know, uh, just the emotional part as well. Um, and listen, long story short, he ended up getting a settlement and he's now retired. Um, but I think, again, if you would speak to somebody like Mark, you know, he would, you know, uh, he'd be an advocate and he would also be able to talk about you know, how, you know, me slash our company were there for him in a really tough time. And again, I think that's also important to point out that, you know, there are going to be ups and downs in everybody's career and life. And so, um, you know, it's, you know, that's something that I pride ourselves on as being human beings and caring people. 
Yeah, and, and you know, Jordan Henderson's another great example of one of your guys. I mean, you know, when Alex Ferguson call, comes out and says that you're not going to succeed because you run weird, you know, everybody thinks everything Alex Ferguson says came down from the mountain on a tablet. You know, he overcame a lot, that kid. Listen, everyone's got everyone's got their story, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, you mentioned a couple, you know, Weston McKinney getting cut from a U-17 team at U-17. Chris Richards getting cut from FC Dallas. Of course, then they took him back a year later when he beat them in the final with the, the Houston team. But yeah, and listen, uh, I personally actually like those players, the ones who got a bit of a chip on their shoulder and, you know, haven't handed everything and have had to prove themselves along the way. But, um, you know, uh, that also goes to sort of the maturity and mentality. You know, are you going to fight through stuff and you're going to persevere and have grit? You yeah. know, we all have to if we want to succeed. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, that's, any, <laughs> you heard it here first, kids, you know, those of you, and you heard it here first, parents, those of you who think, you know, this is an easy, easy pathway, it's not, and, uh, you know, it, it requires tons of work and a, and a little touch of luck, and, uh, you know, that's just part of, that's just part of the, not only, that's not, just part of sports it's part, part of, of life. life yeah it's part, of, yeah. part yeah. of life but you know the as with everything sport is a microcosm of life and it it rings true there as well and so. that toughness factor that rich has talked about several times um you know it's a main tenet of emotional intelligence and that's what people are hiring whether you know, they're looking for that as the captain of real madrid and they're looking for it as the next president of microsoft so no, no, I say the mental aspect of life is not talked about enough. Um, and, you know, perhaps it's because, you know, my mom was a psychiatrist and sort of I was uh, educated at a younger age about the importance of mental health. But, um, you know, you need, you know, physical health, you know, and mental health go hand in hand. And again, you know, you, you need to nurture and make sure you're taking care of both um, at all times to continue to grow and evolve. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Richard, we, uh, we really appreciate you taking time okay. out of your Sunday to spend with us. And, and uh, um, we would certainly love to have you back on some future date if you're willing to to go well, through I guess this it's like again. every 21 years or something, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. we, can, we, can, we can schedule it now. It seems like that's how often we do this, right? Yes. So, Get your we, assistant back actually, I think we'd all be happy to schedule that now. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Now, listen, thank you for having me on. It's great. Yeah, incredible, incredible journey that you've done. And I'm personally so thankful that you, you know, accepted the invitation to join us. Uh, just I, I can't wait um, to, you know, get to this broadcast so that you can obviously share it with a lot of your friends and people who you love and support and, and vice versa, because, you know, you are such a genuine person. You talk about relationships and that's what the world is. You know, it's just not how much money can I use to buy you to do this and that. It, it, it is really, uh, and I think the three of us, you know, me, John and Eric certainly go by that premise, you know, it is about relationships, you know, and, and not everything's going to be a hundred percent great all the time. There's going to be some ups and downs, but, you know, eventually it's all going to come together and, you know, it's, it's all going to work out. So again, thank you so much. 
Well, listen, thank, thank you for having me. You guys do a great job, you know, for three old goalies, not too bad. And, uh, you know, I listen, I appreciate you having me on, keep up the good work and, uh, would love to do this again somewhere down the road. All right. We won't wait 21 years again. We'll I know. Do, and we'll everybody be, be, be well and be safe and be healthy. All right. Thanks all right. very much. You too. Thank you too. You. Okay. Thanks. Take care guys. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. So that was superb. Yep. Okay. Yep. Uh, and it's, you know, it's interesting because in the world today, when you hear the word agent, you don't think of somebody who truly is doing their best to look out for you. If you're the, if you're the client, if you're the player and that guy does, sure. you know, and he's got a whole company that does. Yeah. And you he's know. got clients, you know, cause I, you know, we, I did negotiate with Richard with Winalda, but I was in the room a couple of times and he was just a straight shooter. He's like, pay him, don't pay him, but this is what it's going to cost. Right. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, I mean, he's, the guy scored the first goal in MLS history. He scored the first goal for the U.S. in the World Cup. You know, pay yep. him, pay him. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mallory Pugh was a Real Colorado kid, and that uh-huh. and that girl was when I was out there working with goalkeepers for a couple of years. She she was like uh, Michelle Akers. You know, she just wanted to play. She was yeah. she was, she just wanted the ball at her feet. She just wanted to train. Didn't make any difference if her team was training. If they were, she was at that training. But if they weren't, she was at whatever training was going on and just willing to step on and play and get better. And, you know, several times, you know, we, we, she'd be training with a team and we'd ask her to come over and shoot at the goalkeepers because, you know, she just was that, you know, they're called gym rats or rink rats in other sports. She, she, was, she was that kid who was always around trying to get better. You know, and it's paid off. And that, and and we don't have that gym rat mentality or that coach's kid mentality that's out there shooting free throws with his dad's high school basketball team. Unfortunately, sometimes, yeah, we don't have we don't have enough of it. Got a lot of nice shoes, though. Yeah, but but we don't. (laughs) You know, unfortunately, we don't have enough of it. We don't have enough of the kid that just just wants to play. You know, and um, realizes that you know the. You know, at their point, at their point in life, the joy is in playing every day if you can. You know, um, and then you know it's the old thing: you do what you love, and the money will come along. And certainly, the you know she's she's persevered, and and success has come has followed her, and along with success comes, you know, a, li- a lifestyle that everybody uh, tries to get to. So, you know. Just more, just more of the same. And it was great to have Richard on and, and sharing those stories because, you know, that's from the horse's mouth. That's not from a newspaper article or a Sports Illustrated article or a Twitter account or anything like that. That guy's been there, done that, got the T-shirt. And in this country from the beginning, Greg, that was a good interview. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Boa. The I know guy? you've. I know you've been waiting for this. Give us the twirl around the global football you know i just am glad it's my turn so that we can say fuck (laughs) because nobody's (laughs) post yet so with that in mind this week in global football is really really fascinating fellas sorry you can't see my face because i'm so excited because you know we got a little bit of a lull we had a big lull then we kind of had this restart and then a 
all the seasons are over. Liverpool won the league at Christmas. <laughs> but anyway, but as we all try to get through this governmental and educational dumpster fire that we're going through, no leadership at all. I'm so glad Richard talked about Jordan Henderson because, you know, that's a, that's a leader out there playing with, you know, his ankles messed up and torn hamstring. That's a leader. He's a tough kid. I'm glad he brought him up. But we're going to try to focus on two things that no president of either a university or a nation can seem to do. We're going to talk about things today that are real and true. Now, for my money, Greg and EV, the president of UConn should be president of the fucking United States. The guy comes out and says, we're not going to play any sports. You know why? Because people are getting sick. The president exactly. of which is what, an hour from ESPN? Sure, he's not very popular, you know, but, you know, you got to have balls. And then Greg Deutsch brought it up today that, you know, we'll talk about this later, but the Big Ten is probably going to call it quits for everything. So, um, you know. I, I got to add a little asterisk to the UConn guy. I got to give props to the MAC, the Mid-American Conference Commissioner, for conference. pulling the plug on Saturday for fall sports. Uh, and this is a, a uh, Lee or conference that was about to get, I believe, $13 million yep. uh, playing, you know, to get their butts kicked in, in most cases. I'm sure there might be an upset here or there, but $13 million that league was going to get, you know, for, for their uh, schools and to give and that for, up, yeah. you know, to, so props out to him as well. And they are not a power five, but those of you that don't know, the MAC is a historically very good academic conference. Ohio U, Miami of Ohio, uh, Akron, not so much, but it has gotten there in the last few years with their engineering program. Really good soccer, as you know, Bone, in yep. the MAC with those schools. Yep. And they have all the directional Michigan schools. There's Eastern Michigan, Central Michigan, Western Michigan are all in the MAC. <laughs> the but, Compass uh, Michigan schools. Yeah. Bobby Huggins coached basketball in that league. Jerry Faust coached football in that league. So it's an old, you know, uh, thing. So, um, but, you know, here in the South, college football, I'm visiting my dad for the summer, as our regular listeners will know. And, you know, people are out of their fucking minds here. I mean, it, it's just a bunch of rich white people. You know, they got to do something on Saturday so they can ignore their kids. And then they take them to Applebee's on Sunday and fill them up with a bunch of crap that's going to kill them anyway. You know, so you got to have college football and you got to go eat crappy frozen food and pay 20 bucks for it. So well, that's, you know, that's the way so, it is. That's the way it is in the South, Bowles. Come on, so man. Anyway, we are going to talk about things that are real and true. The first thing that is real and true is Ronaldo and Messi are unfucking believable. Did you see Messi's goal the other day? Did you see that? And the one they called back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the one where he got the one where he got knocked down twice and got up and scored, you know, yeah. whatever. Yeah. And Ronaldo's left footed goal was yeah. leaning backwards, top of the D, picked that one out, son. I mean, that was and, you know, he gets a lot of shit because he's good looking, but they're both good players. Yeah. And they're both tough. They get kicked. They don't bitch. You know, now Ronaldo doesn't defend and doesn't work as hard as Messi, but they're good players, man. And, you know, but again, couldn't help. Ronaldo was knocked out. Uh, the man, the old lady were both eliminated um, by the still another thing we do in this country. Not well. We do a disservice to our kids because Juventus got knocked out of Europe on the away goals rule. 
which means you allow more goals when you're at home, you're out. And that's what happened to Juve. So they tied the tie, the home and away, 2-2, but lost on away goals. If we did that, little kids, high school, club, and college, we'd have a lot better pros, but what the fuck do I know? And then, of course, Juventus fired their manager the next day. Yeah. So yeah. he's gone. Messi, however, is on a mission. He looked like he was five years younger to me. I don't know if you guys watched him. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Oh. Hey, JB, I want to ask you if you're going to, you know, name, you know, obviously Juventus named their new coach and what your thoughts are. He has no experience, but, and this is where you come in, you know, he's obviously been with that club for a long, long time. So Pirlo, right? Yeah. Yeah. This is the thing about him. He's kind of that, you know, Frank Lampard went to Derby for about a year and a half, got him promoted. So he had a little... You know, had his toe in the water. Steven Gerrard coached the Liverpool under-18s for two years. Then he went to Rangers, so he's in the hot water now. Arteta, which was an assistant at Manchester City. Now he's, you know, we're going to talk about Arsenal a little bit in a minute. Now he's doing a really good job at Arsenal. The thing about Pirlo is he's kind of like Zidane. He's an Italian legend. Zidane's a French legend. Went right into, he's a legend at Real Madrid. Yep. Cripe was at Barcelona. And they, they're just – I think that those guys have the kind of presence, Greg. It's like – you know, I don't know what kind of coach Michael Jordan would be, but I'm pretty sure people would listen. <laughs> and, and Pirlo was, you know, he's kind of like a – what they he's, he, he, was, he was a pro's pro, what they call like Jamie Carragher or, you know, the pro, James Milner. People – the other pros love Pirlo because he was simple and he, you know, ran and he tackled. He did all those fun things. But that's going to be interesting because, you know, they're at the top and you got, you know, the best player in the world. You know, there's only one way to go down. I agree with you. I agree with you. You know, you know, you, you talk, we all, we always talk about, you know, bringing your uh, uh, lunchbox yep. to, to work uh, yep. and just grinding it out. And that's exactly what they're hoping. I mean, the guy's got zero experience, but what a, a great choice, you know, yeah. to, to, you know, just to continue their, Hopefully, they're dominant in the league. And, you know, a lot of Italians get that rap of, you know, they, they roll around on the ground and stuff. He's not one of those guys. It's always, it seems like he was always moving. It's like something you tell a little kid, you know, if you're not, if you're on the football field and your head's not moving or your feet not moving, you're doing something wrong. And it, it's the kind of guy you want your son to play like, you know, and he has a temperament that I think he can deal with the big egos. But maybe, I mean, you know, they're, they're only two wins away from the big, from the big, Big trophy. So that's a big job. So, so anyway, Messi and Ronaldo, we already had this discussion a few shows ago. They're both in the top 10, but fellas, I know I'm in the minority and coach Steinbrecher is the same way, but these guys might end up in the top five ever. And that is just incredible. If you think about it, try to think about a time when two contemporaries were this dominant, maybe like Nicholas and Palmer, but Michael Jordan and who, who pushed Michael Jordan, who pushed Walter Payton? I mean, think Pelé, about it. Pelé and Eusebio. Eusebio, okay. Uh, you know, Pelé, I had Pelé next year. I even had Earl Anthony, the bowler. <laughs> Just <laughs> funny. But, but because, you know, the, because the Bowling Hall of Fame is in Akron, Ohio, speaking of the Mac. But All right. it, it's not often. And, you know, Nicholas and Palmer, Palmer was a good bit older. Yeah. But those guys pretty much traded every major for, what, 20 years? <laughs> yeah. So 
but it's not all we're seeing something special. Yes. Yeah. Both leading, you know, they, they've set every record there is in the Champions League. Um, and I remember um, that Messi has already won four European Cups and he's never lost one. So if they get to the final, Barcelona is going to win. They lost. In the we'll put you on the spot. We'll put you on the spot. Are they going to beat Bayern Munich? After what I saw yesterday, I think maybe. But I was a big doubter because, you know, the last two years, they have folded. Absolutely. And they lost, you know, they, they lost one European Cup in the early 60s when it was called the European Cup. And they lost one in the late 80s. And then Cruyff came in. And then you'll remember, you guys will probably remember in 92, Ronald Coleman blasted that fucking ball with the outside of his yeah. foot, about 35 yards. Um, and that was the beginning of the beginning, if you will, of the dynasty that Cruyff built. Uh, as Franz Hoke told us, guys, you know, they still chant Cruyff's name at the fucking games. And he's Dutch. So, you know, um, they, and also, uh, if you ever go to the Barcelona Museum, which if you like football, you should, they still have Coleman's boots there from that game. Pretty cool. Um, and the other cool thing about that game is that because of Cruyff was such a legend, Kappa made orange Barcelona kits for the final. Because Cruyff was Dutch. Wow. Cool? I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, I not either. There you go. There's anyway, something that there's something you learned on three old goalies that probably not a lot of people know. And you're about to learn a lot more. All right. Not just <laughs> one of us. So anyway, the quarterfinals are set. So it's just, now remember these are one-offs. And so you youngins out there, you play home and away usually in the quarterfinals, semifinals, and then a Super Bowl, if you will, for the final. But because of the virus, they finished around a 16 this weekend, and now they're gonna have one quarterfinal. On 12, 13, 14, 15, August, they're going to have one semifinal, like the 18th, and then one final, of course. So the Atalanta Braves of Italy (laughs) (laughs) are going to play PSG from France in the European Cup equivalent of the Washington Generals and the Harlem Globetrotters. Because, I mean, you already know who's going to win, but who really gives a shit? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Atalanta, I mean, good for them. They're in the, the, the final eight, but wow. Frank, the French are assholes, Lloyd. I, I predict they will win, JB, just for the record. They will but, win, will beat PSG. Well, I hope you're right, Greg. For the simple matter of the bath that we took in the old days with all those fucking PSG jerseys that sat there for like 10 years. Oh, yeah. In Eurosport. Yeah. I remember that was back before. That was a bad buying decision by me. That was back. <laughs> that was back before PSG was any good. But they were cool looking shirts, man. I didn't understand why people why people didn't like them. But maybe they were, we got... Le- they were Lecoq Sportif, and they had RTL on them. Yeah, and it felt. And they were Lecoq Sportif, man. Yes. I mean, they were cool. Yeah, and the and the numbers and the logo was in felt. Yeah, it was like the cool, like you remember the Colorado Caribou's with the fringe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So anyway, our buddy Adrian Brooks. So anyway, uh, then another quarterfinal, Leipzig from Germany, a little bit of a surprise there because this is the final eight in Europe, and this is the highest level of football in the world. I don't care what anybody says. This is The European Cup is, is it, okay? Yeah, yep. Leipzig is going to play Atletico Madrid. Now, remember, Atletico Madrid was losing their Liverpool tie, went to Anfield, and won. That ain't easy to do. So they That's are right. the dark horse of this tournament. Simeone was a little bastard mid- midfielder for Argentina, and he's the same way as a manager. And they're going to be organized, and they're going to be tough to beat. Yes, they are. 
the um, other quarterfinal, Manchester City is going to beat Lyon of France like an East End duck worker after 10 pints of Stella Artois. I mean, that, that's not even going to be a freaking I, – I, I mean, that, that, this, this Kevin De Bruyne, I, I think if it wasn't for Messi and Ronaldo – I mean, clearly he's the best player in England. Yeah, they gave it to Henderson because he's the skipper of the champions. And he, yeah. and he I get yeah. it. But I mean, this De Bruyne guy, box he's unbelievable. Box, yeah. He's yeah. unbelievable. He's a big timer. He doesn't bitch. He runs. He tackles. He passes. He scores goals. I mean, yes. he's playing in meaningless games, guys, and he's on fire. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, again, they've got to be you know one of the favorites with Bayern and Barca to take the whole thing. Um, the glamour fixture is Bayern and Barcelona. The winner places plays Manchester City. Woo. So again, the bummer, thanks UEFA, is that we again will not see the best two teams in the final because City and Bayern and Barcelona are all on the same side of the fucking bracket. Yep. Now, if you're neutral, which we all are, I think, all of us are Barcelona fans, that's great. We get to see some good football, but you want to see the two best teams in the final. You don't want to see Spurs and Liverpool again. Right. Right. So, um, the 2020-21 season, Greg Deutsch, got underway in Scotland and... Mexico! <laughs> but the only thing worse than talking about those two leagues is sitting through one of my relationship Zoom counseling sessions. So we're not going to talk about Scotland and Mexico. In England, Arsenal really showed some sand, guys. They beat a vastly superior Chelsea team with a red-hot Christian Pulisic, two to one. They, you know, that also got them into Europe, and they've had, you know, a few crap years here. They're going to spend a lot of money in the next few months because, really, they're just really bad team right now, really. And, you know, it's nice to see these big-time players. We just talked about it. You talked about Pirlo. You got, you know, Arteta's a young coach. Lampard's a young coach. Gerard's at Rangers. They think Gerard probably's got one more year in Scotland. He might come down to Liverpool and do this new thing they call the assistant manager that a lot of big clubs do. He watches Klopp for two years and Klopp's out in 2024 and he takes over Germany. Yeah. Yeah. I might, that, that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, so the Scousers will play the Gooners at Wembley on the 29th of August in another cool thing that we don't do here. It's called the Charity Shield. The Charity Shield is the first game. It's a, it's a glorified exhibition, but these players take it for serious real. And it's the league champion playing the FA Cup champion. So imagine MLS champion playing the U.S. Open Cup champion. That would be a fantastic way to start. It would. Season. It would. It would. Hey, while we're on the subject of the FA Cup, I would like your guys' opinion on something. Okay. And it is this: Are we are we hyping Christian Pulisic too much? No, no I don't think so either. I, I was skeptical, but I heard a really good point the other day. Somebody made that you know he got kicked around a little bit because he's a, he was a, he's a little guy, right? And and everybody was there was two cogent points actually. One was, oh well, he's not Eden Hazard. Well, Jesus Christ, who is right? <laughs> Hazard is a little bulldog. He's he's like he's built like a fire hydrant. Right. He's yes. more of a sideways guy. And Frank Lampard even said this. He goes, they're different players. Pulisic's direct. He's going to punish you. He keeps you on your back foot. 
whereas Hazard was more of a sideline to sideline guy. Okay. Now, world class player, but just a different player. Okay. And the other thing was that they think Pulisic is better after the break because he put on weight. So he's able to ride some of these tackles. Okay. I, I, Ev, I agree with Greg. I, I think he's, I think he's there to stay. No, no, no. I'm not. I don't mean with Chelsea. I mean with this, with the great white hope of the U.S. national team. Oh no, I don't think there's any. I, I I think, I think they're putting way too much. You know, uh, you know, he's going to win us the World Cup. Yeah, but they're looking. But that's the American mentality. They're looking at him as like a, you know, we're going to get Reggie Jackson at the All Star break, and he's going to hit in the four, the four spot, and we're going to go win the World Series. That yeah. is not how football works. Yeah, I no, just I, I think about. I think we've talked about him before with the injuries. You know. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's the biggest yep. question we have. I mean, he was voted the youngest player. Uh, he won the youngest player in award. Right. In England in, just right. recently. Right. Yeah. If he can yeah. stay healthy, you know, I think that's a great analogy, Ev, of the Great White Hope. Um, you know, back in the day when people were using that term um, in, in the boxing world. But um, I just think there's so many other players coming up, uh, especially in the next year or two, that hopefully are, are going to help take some of the pressure off of him. Yeah, I mean, somebody's going to have to protect him like Messier did for Gretzky, you know? Yeah, no, I know that. I just, you know, we every time he scores a goal, it's like U.S. national team player, Pulisic yeah. scores a goal. It's like, well, no, he's playing for Chelsea, guys. It's a little bit different, right? Yeah, he's giving you the know. ball to Tony Abraham, who's going to, you know, exactly. You know, and and I just, I just, you know, typical U.S. fashion. You know, we talked about it today with, with Richard, with, with Freddie Adu. Typical U.S. fashion. Yeah. Oh, yeah, this guy's the next, he's the next play. Well... You know, yeah, he's good. He's good. But, you know, uh, you know, that's, that's, I mean, that's, I always, I always worry about that when I start hearing write-ups and accolades and stuff put on somebody who's, he's a good player and he's a very, he's done very well at Chelsea, but he hasn't, he hasn't been on the international stage much. And, you know, as we all know, that doesn't always transfer from your club to your country. No, that's messy. Right, right. You know, and, and here's the other thing. You know, and this might sound stupid as a football purist, but can he, wouldn't it be more beneficial for as bad as we are for our country if we had a Virgil van Dyke in the back, it would be fair to say, okay, this guy's going to anchor it down. we got a good goalkeeper, good center back, or a Landon Donovan up front, and we can just pack it in and crank it like we did for 10 years, and he scored goals. So, but as a midfielder, I mean, I can't, I can't see him bossing a game against France, fellas. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know yeah, that, no, I agree. With, I agree with that. I, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're just going to crowd him out of there. Yeah. Because there's nobody that knows how to play tactically and functionally around him to get, let him, like they do at Chelsea. Right. And, and we couldn't tie Trinidad. Yeah. Well. Trinidad. <laughs> oh, no, or, or Tobago. So, so yeah, or Tobago. So speaking of defending, I'm not really sure that you know that's a you know we'll that's, that's a lost cause. He's really a free. He's more like a not a false nine, but really it's just kind of a free roll type of guy. Isn't he? Yeah, he's what yeah. we used to call a schemer. There you go. Totally great word, Ev. Yeah, you, you just schemer. do whatever do whatever you want. You know? Yeah. 
So again, we, you know, we don't, we miss another opportunity to market our sport over here. We don't have a charity shield, which we should do. I'm going to actually send a proposal to Nike. I'm sick of talking about it. I want, I want it to work. So there have been some classic, classic, classic London Merseyside Cup finals. There's, you know, the Charlie George Arsenal game in 71. There was a Michael Owen game. They scored two goals in the FA Cup final against Arsenal with David Seaman. So, you know, it's, it's going to be a lot of goals, three or two or four to three. They also decided there's not going to be any more water timeouts and only three substitutes. So it's back to normal. Back to normal. But similar, tell- similar to, similar to, and we're, I'm sure you're going to cover this, but we were talking earlier about U.S. football and college football and COVID and all that stuff. The MLS has decided that, you know, all these other leagues are stopping, but we're going full speed ahead. And interestingly enough, they're kicking it off on Wednesday with the two, I like to call it the leprosy bowl of the two teams that were sent home because they had COVID. They're playing on Wednesday. So Nashville soccer club is going to play FC Dallas <laughs> in, in the botany, in the botany Bay bowl. Okay. For those of you who know your, your history, convicts and, and untouchables were sent to Australia. That's how we got Australia. Uh, and they're going to, and, and, you know, COVID COVID what's the problem again. What they should do is like, they should sell the sponsorship rights to Corona. That would be hilarious. <laughs> now, you know, a further note on that MLS, but besides, and we'll add, I'll get your predictions for Portland, Orlando city here in a second. Um, 18 of the 26 teams now qualify for the playoffs. <laughs> yes. It's like the NHL. Cha-ching. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Cha-ching. And, and, Cha-ching and, is right. EB, since you brought up leprosy, do you guys know what the leper said to the hooker? <laughs> Keep the tip. <laughs> All right. Cade, we're going to have to edit that one out. All right. That's, so, that's going to have to leave. So back to the FA Cup final, pretty entertaining game, but pretty ugly. Chelsea had only themselves to blame because that jerk-off goalkeeper that EV hates, they, they benched. They put in their backup, um, what, Willie, what's his name? Uh, Caballero. Okay. Yeah, probably, yeah, he did okay, he, but he just, you know. Um, but then, you know, your skipper goes down, and Pulisic went down. He shredded his hamstring also, and I don't care what anybody said – the Arsenal goalkeeper handballed the ball. Yeah. Did you see that? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, these referees sitting on there, you know, waxing each other on, on public television, but it was a handball. A deaf man could see it was a handball. Yeah. So, anyway, Bat Frank has them believing they're going to be, you know, a couple years away, Chelsea, but they're going to be have something to say about England the next couple years because next year there's not going to be any of this hundred point nonsense. It's going to be like the winner is going to have 83, 85 points like the old days, five yeah. or six losses. It's going to be old school, six, seven teams. So the early predictions from this side are Liverpool city and Chelsea in the top three Leeds is going to shock people because Bielsa is a maniac. Yep. He's like a Latino insane clop. Yep. And they run. I met him in Ar- met him in LA years ago and he is a mean they're gonna they're gonna be like wolves in Sheffield United. They're gonna be nobody's gonna want to play them. Yeah, and they'll finish like ninth or tenth. Um, Manchester United will be relegated next season, just like they were in 1894, 1922, 1931, 1937, and 1974 when they fired George Best. If anybody ever wants to know why I hate Manchester United, 
not because of Liverpool. It's because they fired George Best. You really think they're going to be relegated? I don't think they're going to. I don't think they're going to be relegated. No, I don't. I just I have a lot of Manchester United friends that listen to this show. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So Fulham, Leeds, and West Bromwich Albion were promoted. Yep. Big league. Guys, what you guys are football historians. What two famous players played at Fulham together in the mid 70s briefly? They both liked the odd pint and they both ended best, up. Best, best, and Rodney Marsh. George wow. Best and Rodney Marsh, the crown prince of soccer. X stud. Yes. Yes. And I have a great Rodney Marsh story. He was coaching at Tampa when I was in the APSL, and I'm sitting at a table after the, they shredded us. And uh, Rodney Marsh was there with his daughter, and Kevin Grimes hit on her. You guys know Grimmer, right? Yeah. He hit on her, and she wrote this note in a napkin in French, and nobody spoke French except for our Haitian trainer. So we get back on the bus, and it was like, hey, Francois, what does this say? And... <laughs> and, George, and Rodney Marsh's daughter had written Grimmer a note that said, I would rather lick a dog's bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So our buddy Grimmer out in Berkeley will be loving to hear that story. He sure will. Did you guys see the absolute cock up of goalkeeping by the poor Brentford guy? I did not see that. They had a free kick, Fulham. Did you see this, Greg? I did not. They had a full. They had a. They had a free kick for about thirty-five, maybe forty yards, about ten yards to the touchline. So out wide, right? The guy yeah. sitting there. They have one guy in the wall, you know, which probably we would have done too, but maybe two guys. But the goalkeeper does one of these like Tony Miola cheating things and stands on the six-yard box, knowing that the guy is going to whack a cross in. So what does the guy do? He steps up and just hits like a aggravated, angry pass at the near post, and it goes in. <laughs> and everybody's sitting there, and literally, when you see this, it's. It, I, I mean, I don't feel people were kind of being, feeling sorry for him, but it was a huge. I mean, somebody should have been on the bench screaming, "Get on your fucking line! Get on your fuck!" It's a hundred and thirty million dollar football game, guys. Yep, yep. So that was too bad for him, but that was terrible. And again, South American goalkeeper. We're going to leave it there. Can you guys name this? Leeds is the other promoted team at one time, and they all played. Who was the guy uh, before they fired? Uh, what's his name? Yeah, Don Reeby. At the same time, Leeds had the captain of every home country, and a home country means England, Scotland, Wales, and Ireland. Can you name those four players in the 70s? Uh, the of the nation, and they all played for Leeds for their club football. Okay, Scotland is Brimner. Correct, Billy Brimner. Uh, at that time, well, see, Bobby, it wouldn't be Bobby Moore because he played at Fulham. Nope. Um, I had to call our friend Butch Lawfer, who spent a lot of time at Ellen Road out in Texas. So thank you, Butch, for helping me. I got three of them. I didn't get all four. Johnny Giles from Ireland. Okay. Jack Charlton from England. Oh, yeah. Okay. Not Bobby Charlton, his brother. Yeah. yeah. And then for Wales, a guy named Gary Speed. I did not get that one. Gary Speed. He, yeah, he actually, yeah, he actually I tell took, you what, guys, took his you own know, life as a manager. They were playing the same time, but Leeds was cool. They, they played in all white like Real Madrid. 
and they had some good teams in the early seventies. Norman Hunter that would break your leg. Um, oh, dude, they they were they oh, were yeah, yeah, big time, big they, time. They were the they were the John Madden's Oakland Raiders of English football. And they could play, and they you know were you know nobody wanted to play them. They would sharpen their studs yeah, in the tunnel. Yeah. They would say, yeah. yeah, however you wanted to play, they could beat you. That's right, they would beat you. That's right, that's right. Um, but Coolest at all is West Bromwich Albion, which is in Birmingham, which is kind of like their Pittsburgh or Cleveland. So it's everything about West Bromwich Albion just oozes why we love football, and it gives me chills. I was reading this last night. They, the name of their stadium is the Hawthorns. <laughs> it's just the Hawthorns. The Hawthorns. Okay? And it's been there. The club was founded in 1878 or something, but they've been playing in the same stadium since 1900. That's 121 football seasons, folks. Whew. Their nickname are the Baggies. The Baggies. Some, you know, not, people aren't sure why, but they think it's because they wore big oversized trousers. So when they went to the steel and the molten metal and iron and all that crap, so it didn't burn their legs. So they wore the, and the Villa fans made fun of them, the steel workers, for wearing baggy pants. So they nicknamed them the Baggies. Pretty cool. All right. All right. Yeah. Yep. Very cool. And then they're also called the Throstles, which is a type of bird, which is on their crest, the West Bromwich, like some kind of like pigeon or something but it is a real bird it's not like the liver bird which is fictitious but gotcha. pretty cool okay it's important seeing the 23rd psalm at their games it's kind of like they're you'll never walk alone and they, yeah. they're they're kind of wacky they're they're fans when they score a goal they bounce up and down like pogo sticks <laughs> and they go boing 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 <laughs> so really cool but this is the coolest thing so a lot of people think that because they're in birmingham aston villa is their natural rival but their derby is actually against Wolves, Wolverhampton, and it's called the Black Country Derby. Sweet, dude. That's right. cool. That is cool. And Eric Clapton is a fan. All right. Okay. We'll never talk about WBA again, but that's almost as cool trivia as an MLS team in Utah with the word Real in their name, isn't it? Oh, all right. Ooh. Okay. That's the dumbest, stupidest unbelievable crap name i've ever heard in my life yeah i i do i do hope that the you that the 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 uh mls teams that are coming into the league can figure out better names than fcsc united and you know well they're doing charlotte i think they're, they're the final four were charlotte fc charlotte yeah, sc yeah yeah and they and they turned down they turned down Charlottetown, which would have been a great name for them. Charlottetown would have been great. Queen City. Yeah. yeah. But the owner said, I, I will say this. Now, we don't know, but the owner said they took a poll and everyone decided on what they named it. You know what, Greg? That reminds me of like those coaches that let their teams vote on the captain. I hate that shit. There's a difference, though. If you got season ticket holders paying the bill and they like the name. Yeah, that's a good point. Think they'll do that in the Redskins? Uh oh. Yep, that's a good argument. That's a good argument. How about the how about the NHL's new team called the Seattle Kraken? <laughs> the Kraken, the, the like the the thing unleash the Kraken. Unleash the Kraken. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, you know that the uh Greg, you heard about the Redskins. Their uh their name was so offensive, the Washington Redskins, that they changed it to the DC Redskins. <laughs> 
Moving uh. on. The last real and true thing on this week's twirl around the global football world is that this VAR thing is a fucking joke. The referees have no idea when to even use it. The people looking at the replays know less about football than a frying pan. And I cannot believe I'm saying this, but it makes the refereeing look good. It's just, it's a, it's a horrible experiment. And just when people in this country are just starting to understand the offside rule or what a cup tie is, or, you know, away goals, or guys, why they fake injuries, you know, we have to deal with this nonsense. You know, now I got to explain to people, oh, well, you know, sometimes you use the instant replay and sometimes you don't. And that guy's buzzer didn't work. And EB and I were talking about this earlier. You know, that goal that, that was scored, that was in the goal, they're like, oh, I didn't see it. You know, we against the the Aston against. Villa. Yeah. And, you know, that then turned out to be a pretty important goal. <laughs> $130 million goal. But I will say this, but I will say this, you know, in the MLS, uh, in, you know, the last month when they've gone into the booth, first, I think it's been interesting to see what they do and how they do it. Uh, I got to say they got it right. In the MLS? In MLS. Now, did they do it like E.D. was talking about with hockey, like they do everything in Toronto? No, MLS, they just re- the, the referee can go over and review the play that he has a question about, right? Okay. And if right. he sees on TV that he missed a call, he can change the call. Uh, if he sees on the – sorry, not on TV, but on the replay. If he sees on the replay that, yeah, there may have been a foul, but it didn't really affect things, then he can leave it as is, you know. Because, you know, uh, how – closest thing because it's more fluid it's it's not as fluid as soccer right but what do you i mean i don't know man I, you know i'm still one of those guys that thinks goalkeepers should wear green jerseys but you know i'm all but i'm also a tech guy to make a living yeah and i get it but it seems to me that if you if you make the bad call bad calls a part of the game right that's what we've been told our whole lives just like the corner flag yeah so i don't know man you know, now they're talking about, you know, throwing a robot behind the plate in baseball. So, yeah. well, and, you know, and it's interesting because the, the, that you're bringing this up because about a year and a half to two years ago, you know, hockey guys, deci- you know, they decided that what was happening with all the reviews were they were over refereeing, right? right. You, you watch something in slow motion, of course yeah. it's a foul, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so they took that part of it out, you know, that any judge, any judgment call was made on the ice. The only thing that the, the war room makes a determination on is um, goals or not goals, yep. off, offside or not offside. Okay. And now they do, they do occasionally do a review for a hit to the head. Because that's a game misconduct. That's you're thrown out if you if you target a guy's head. It's, your head. it's like they wouldn't review slashing, right? No, they do not review slashing. Yeah. But but you know if it and a lot of times too, you know, I mean, they make the determination was the guy intentionally trying to hit the guy in the head or did you know just the collision, yeah. you know, impact his head. Um, but mostly it's just it's just like you know puck out of bounds. Offside, offside or not, goal or not. That's it, you yeah. know. Uh, and which is the better way to do it? But I, I agree with Bone. I, you know, have, having the ability to go over and and review your own 
uh, call or non-call on the field like MLS does it, I think is better. You know, and Greg, um, our buddy Mickey Thomas, who's a majority, he played at West Virginia Wesley, probably the best college player I've ever seen. We, we talk quite a bit. And he's like, why don't they stick an old pro up there that knows a little bit about the game? I mean, it just seems it's so inconsistent, firstly. When to implement it, secondly. You know, but then you're going to, oh, well, that guy's from Manchester, so he's not going to, you know what I mean? Right. So no Good perfect point. answer. It's kind of like dealing with the virus, isn't it? Yeah, it's just, you know, it's just no one's ever going to be 100%. Well, look at the look at the the monster that video review has become in the NFL. Oh. Oh my god, yeah. Yeah. Every- and and so and so you don't want that, every right? Yeah. Because every yeah. play it's like, come on, guys, you know. That's why NFL games take what? 20 hours? Yeah. Exactly, Greg. Exactly. And you know, in college football, they a big thing you know, is this targeting thing. So you get, if you don't get flagged, they can't review it to throw you out. But if you do get flagged and they review it and they have to review it and they said, okay, you went after that kid's head with your helmet, they're going to throw you out, but they're not going to throw you out. So again, it's not perfect either, but it is for the safety of the kid, which I'm all for, especially when it comes to your brain, right? Yeah. 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 So anyway, um, so Belarus is also playing, but they're insane. Um, so we're not going to talk about Belarus. So back to you in Nashville, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, you've uh, you've wasted another couple hours of your life that you're going to want back on your deathbed. Hopefully not from COVID. And uh, we we appreciate Richard Motzkin joining us today. I really enjoyed that because that was something that was you know, I had, I mean, I really hadn't given a lot of thought as to what an agency should do for a player. Um, particularly a big agency, like he's in charge of, which I thought was kind of cool. Uh, yeah. And, um, uh, but you know, uh, hope, hope everybody enjoyed it. Hope everybody learned anything. Your closing thoughts, Greg. Well, first just, so appreciative that we were able to get him on. Uh, I'm, I'm glad he remembered that, that you and I had done an interview a long, long time ago, you know, before he became super famous, a very genuine person. Um, yes. uh, love is lifestyle, uh, not lifestyle, but just the themes in his life that are important to him, family, uh, down to earth relationships, which we've talked about, um, and, you know, just the smartest Borg of players. Yeah, is holy mackerel. When I was, you know, finding, you know, doing all the research on him. And I, you know, it was like every sentence I was going, oh, my God. Oh, my God. And then, you know, to discover, you know, JB's boy, Stevie Gerrard. Um, and then, you know, we talk about these young guys. And, you know, one of the young guys that uh, John brings up a lot is um, – Gio uh, Rania and to hear him, you know, that he's in his stable and to find out, you know, he was on the uh, FIFA 21 game, you know, the youngest player is pretty incredible. The Ashley Sanchez, who people probably don't really know uh, or heard of yet. um, That was, that was pretty interesting. And, you know, of course the Freddie Adu story, which I'm glad he, you know, shared with us. uh, 
you know, and I forgot some of the things that he, he mentioned on, you know, really how good he was yeah. uh, when he first started. I, you know, I think we all know he bounced around and uh, we're aware of how many clubs and, you know, he's just trying to find something. Um, but just amazing that, you know, we had him on. Yeah, we'll have yeah. to follow up with him because there's a, there's a, a legend about, or a fib or fable about him going to Manchester United and Alex Ferguson watched for 15 minutes and said, we're not, he's not for us. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Greg, that was a great interview though. And, um, you know, Peter Moore uh, is done at Liverpool and is moving back to America. So maybe we can get him on here. Oh, oh cool. Yeah. Wow. What are you going to be doing? Yeah, we'll, we'll try. I uh, would like to make a personal statement. Personal statement from John Boa. Eric Vauder inherited a daughter two weeks ago. Young Devin Vauder is married to a wonderful lady. Wonderful. Congratulations, E.V. Thank you. It was it was a great uh, it was a great wedding that we managed. To, it was an outdoor wedding and we managed to get it in between two thunderstorms. Uh, all on Zoom watching. Yeah, we we <laughs> we. Lazy did not film it. I can assure you. <laughs> we, <laughs> we set up in a thunderstorm and we broke down in a thunderstorm. And other than that, the wedding was great. And they're honeymooning up in Maine, having a great time. So. Wonderful kids, for both of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are. Yeah, yeah. So, all Maybe right. Be your, your thoughts. I'm sorry. Be your thoughts. My thoughts were tremendous interview. Something that I, you know, something that I was not as aware of that I sh as I should be in the, you know, uh, from the from the point of agency, um, uh, you know, I particularly like the uh, I particularly like the uh, Freddie Adu story. I particularly liked learning more about Alexi Lawless, who is a lightning rod in soccer, and um, you know, uh, I enjoyed the fact that he felt he felt obligated to come back to the United States to help grow the game here when he could have played, when he could, could have continued playing in Europe, you know, and I, and I think that's big time, you know. And um, Lexi has always been really humble about that. You know, his comment yeah. when he went to Italy was, he goes, look, I think they just walked into Walmart and they said, well, we got a good deal on this guy. He got him for cheap. He was never, he's, you know, he knew he wasn't, you know, Sharia. <laughs> right. But, right. You know, he's playing in the best league in the world. Uh, of, yeah. I, I will say this. I will say this. We could have used him at Trinidad. A little bit. <laughs> a little bit. You know, because I mean, fuck. <laughs> here, we, here we go. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so, you know, that's, yeah, that's, that's, I hate to keep beating a dead horse, but I'm still going to do it. So, no, still are. There's no doubt. You know, you talk about something that's set in, in, in you know, you talk about something that's set the the soccer world back in all aspects, right? You know, oh. notoriety, business, and otherwise. You know, here, here, here's what here, he'll give you some scope on how bad men's soccer is on the national team level in the United States of America. When I went, when I worked for Reebok, I was meeting over there with the, with the head guys from the Globe and our marketing manager, great gal Heather Kashner, goes, "What do you guys plan?" This was 1997, let's say, or 98. Goes what? She goes, what are your plans for the Women's World Cup? And the head of football goes, when is it? <laughs> so <laughs> it wasn't even on the radar. Now, yeah. now, if you talk to people, oh, you're American. Wow, your women's team is unbelievable. They don't even talk about the fucking men. No. 
Well, why wouldn't you? Right. Yeah. So, so our women are world class, like we say, Brazil and Germany, right? And I and our men, it's like, you know, it's like American music. Like in Europe, they don't even talk about it. It's so freaking bad. Same thing with our national team. Yeah. It's just, I mean, and and perhaps again, perhaps this this stable of up and coming players, you know, some of whom were mentioned tonight, um, you know, will. You know, we're going to qualify for the next World Cup because they expanded the field. But, you know, uh, I don't They're going to have to play a lot of friendlies EV in Europe. Don't you agree, Greg? Otherwise, those kids are going to be on airplanes all the time. Oh, yes, I totally agree. Yeah. But that's what Brazil does. Brazil plays a lot of a lot of national team games in Europe. Yeah. Well, they need the money. Yeah. All right. So uh, let's get some predictions here. Portland, Orlando City, MLS final. I think it's on Thursday night. JB, I'll let you go first. Um, You're asking me an MLS question. I know. I'll give you some time, EV. I'm going with Portland because I think having seen Nani go off, they're going to go, okay, I don't care what happens, but don't let Nani score. I totally agree with that statement. Right. You know, and so and so, I have to go against Hank's boy Giovanni. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. two-legged final. Did they already play one? What? Is it a two-legged final? No, it's not a two-legged. It's it's it. No, it's just one game. One point one million dollars on the line. One point one million. The where's Adidas is going to win? Greg. <laughs> oh, oh. Yeah. No, well, I I'm think gonna go, I'm going to go with Orlando. Okay. okay. All right. Because yeah. of Manny. Okay. Okay. And that's a, that's an homage to my Manchester United twat friends that listen. Okay. He's an old United guy. I couldn't cut it there. All right, gentlemen. Well, we will talk with you next week. Uh, we're hoping to have Dave on because uh, we're in the soccer business phase of our episodes. The perfect guy to have. Perfect guy to have because you talk about a you know a lot like Richard Motzkin has seen it all from the very beginning and to where we are today. So. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to do that. And until next time, everybody stay safe. We'll talk. We'll get everything set up. And good night, Captain, and thank you.